This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hello, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to the work of philanthropy and civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis, and this is episode 51. And this week, we're looking at philanthropic pledges. Um, so the the kind of starting point for this is that the um, giving pledge uh, has been back in the news again recently for various reasons. So I wanted to take this as the opportunity to look a bit more broadly at the idea of pledge philanthropy. So basically people making a commitment to give um, certain amounts of money or kind of percentage of their wealth in advance of actually doing so and explore what some of the benefits of that, what some of the criticisms have been, um, and some of the what science uh, tells us about how we can best go about using these kinds of tools to drive more giving. Um, so in the first section, what I want to do is focus particularly on the giving pledge, um, because it's the most obvious place to start. It's by far the most sort of prominent example of a, a philanthropic pledge that's out there. Um, and for anyone who's uh, in the unlikely situation of listening to this podcast about philanthropy and not being aware of what the Giving Pledge is, um, this is uh, an initiative set up uh, in 2010 by Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett, where they came together um, with a group of other extremely wealthy people, who many of whom were already existing philanthropists, to announce that they were setting up a new platform to enable... Um, people with very large amounts of money um, to make a kind of public commitment um, to give away half of that money during their lifetimes. Um, now this has been back in the news again recently um, partly because it's closing in on a decade since it was set up so there's been a few interesting bits and pieces kind of analysing the effect of the pledge over that time uh, scale but even more so because um, in the last tranche of uh, new signatories that was announced which they do every so often one of the notable names was Mackenzie Bezos um, who is the uh, recently former wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos and Jeff Bezos was uh, famous for being one of the sort of biggest names um, who wasn't a signatory to the giving pledge and remains still not a signatory to the giving pledge despite being the richest man in the world at this point um, and a lot of people thought it was interesting that following their divorce, Mackenzie Bezos, who won a very large amount of money uh, in the divorce settlement, decided to make um, a separate commitment on her own to do that. So it sort of raised questions about, you know, the difference between their, their approach to philanthropy and their kind of different views um, of its value and, and role. Um but uh, the giving pledge has kind of come in for, for scrutiny um, pretty much from day one, really. And I guess the big question, in a way, is whether or not it has been successful. Um, and in order to assess that, I guess what you've got to ask, first of all, is, well, what was it designed to do? What was the, the aim of the pledge? Um, and here I think it gets interesting because I think you can kind of identify or suggest uh, quite a few different possible aims that you would have for 
a pledge of this sort. So, you know, broadly, was the aim just to raise awareness of philanthropy as a thing or um, of its value as a, as a kind of way of funding things within our society? Um, was it more about establishing a kind of uh, cultural norm or narrative about philanthropy or perhaps a social norm amongst people of a certain level of wealth? Um, if it was about establishing a social norm, um, what to what end? Because um, I think you could you could think about a couple of different things there. So one is uh, is the overall aim to get non givers giving, so to encourage people who currently have a lot of money but aren't engaging with philanthropy to engage with it. Is it about getting people who are already giving to commit to give that much more? Or is it about changing the way in which they do that giving? So perhaps encouraging people to think less about holding on to wealth um, so that they can leave it as a legacy at the end of life, as has been historically a very large part of philanthropy, and shifting more towards an idea of giving while living, so getting rid of that money or giving it away to good causes during their own lifetimes. Um, or was it more broadly beyond just the super wealthy, uh, partly designed to try and drive a kind of greater culture of mass giving within the US, um, where, you know, giving levels of giving are very high um, by kind of international standards, but many commentators would still say there's, you know, a lot more potential for people to give more as there probably is everywhere else. And I guess in terms of some of those aims, we can assess how successful or not the Giving Pledge has been against them. Um, I mean, the first obvious thing to say is it's had some notable successes in terms of people that have signed up to it. So um, apart from the Gateses and Buffett themselves, people like Michael Bloomberg, um, Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan, uh, George Lucas, the Star Wars producer, uh, Eli Broad and his wife, Ted Turner, um, David Rockefeller, scion of the obviously famous philanthropic dynasty there, um, and then many outside of the US as well, so people like Asim Premji from India, Richard Branson here in the UK, and, and many others. Um, but there have probably been just as many notable absences as there have signatories, so I previously already mentioned Jeff Bezos, who was famously not signed up to the Giving Pledge, but also people who are known to be very philanthropic in their own right, like Oprah Winfrey or George Soros, um, are you know notable by their absence from the list. Also people who seem to be more sceptical um, in broader terms about philanthropy. So Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the Google founders, who've expressed some views about uh, traditional philanthropy and their kind of uh, thoughts on whether or not it, um, it is really the best way of addressing the, the problems of society. Uh, Michael Dell and uh, the Koch brothers, who are sort of famous conservative uh, philanthropists in the US, are all non-signatories. So you kind of have to weigh the success of the Giving Pledge in terms of establishing any kind of cultural norm amongst high net worth um, individuals in the US against that wider context, I think. Interestingly, I think where it brings you on to more specific criticisms or critiques or challenges is um, a couple of the sort of notable um, cases where donors have obviously been courted by Bill Gates um, and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett, who quite often go out and sort of meet people in different countries to try and uh, encourage them to sign up, but have decided not to for one reason or another. Um, uh, one famous example for a long time was Chuck Feeney, who was the founder of the Atlantic Philanthropies and a very famous donor, 
who was a staunch advocate of the giving while living um, ethic and, and has subsequently been so successful with that that I believe the Atlantic Philanthropies has now shut its doors as it was always designed to do because it was a limited life foundation. Um, and he did eventually sign up to the Giving Pledge, I believe, but for a long time his point was um, that he was already doing uh, all the giving anyway, so the pledge didn't really add anything. And also that by that point he'd given away so much money that he wasn't really sure that he uh, could make the sort of commitment that was required from those who still had very large amounts of money, which we'll, we'll come back to, to some of, um, of that in a moment. Um, and then interestingly, there have been sort of cultural resistance from uh, other parts of the world. So uh, famously, Gates and Buffett went over to China and did a tour around um, Asia more broadly to try and get signatories. And they, they got a few, but they reportedly met with quite a lot of resistance um, uh, from people over there, from from billionaires, who I think essentially felt that they were uncomfortable with the idea of being told what to do with their money and the kind of cultural difference uh, of having somebody uh, people from the west coming in and kind of uh, essentially lecturing them or hectoring them as they felt about adopting what they saw as a very western model of, uh, of philanthropy and in germany as well interestingly the number of signatories has been quite low um, and there have been some quite notable criticism from prominent billionaires over there one example um, is the German billionaire Peter Kramer, who, after being asked to sign the giving pledge um, and declining to do so, explained his reason for doing so in quite interesting terms. And his his concern, and the quote he said was, um, these guys have so much power through their wealth that they, instead of the government elected by the people, can decide what's good and what should be promoted and subsidised that can be dangerous. So using an argument there about the sort of potentially anti-democratic effect of, of philanthropy uh, as a reason not to sign up to the uh, to the giving pledge, which is, um, is particularly interesting. Um, so I guess in, in terms of the overall figures, another question to ask is whether the giving pledge has had any impact on shifting behaviour. Um, that's a difficult question to answer for a number of reasons. I mean, one is that the giving pledge itself was never really designed with set metrics um, or measurement uh, frameworks in mind, so it doesn't really track uh, the level of giving that people are doing against their pledge. Um, and it's notoriously difficult to get accurate figures for high net worth giving because people tend to be giving through structures like foundations, they're not always hugely transparent about it, so it can be quite difficult to get a handle on what the actual amounts involved are. Um, but insofar as anyone can tell, um, reports tend to suggest that it hasn't had any particularly measurable effect on increasing the overall amount of high net worth giving in the US. Um, and if we think about uh, mass market giving, I suppose there's a question there, has it had any measurable effect on that? Uh, and again, the answer is probably no. Um, I mean, it would be very difficult to attribute any sort of direct causal link anyway, but certainly research um, done every year into levels of giving in the US um, show that they are generally stable. Um, and certainly there hasn't been a sort of significant increase that one um, could even correlate with, with the giving pledge over that period of time. Um, and one of the questions, uh, to my mind there, particularly around the high net worth giving, is if if the giving pledge has not had a determinate impact on the levels of giving, 
that um, that are that are coming from that demographic. Is that partly because it, what it's ended up doing is just capturing giving that would have happened anyway? By which I mean, are the people who have signed up to the giving pledge those who are either already giving um, at that level, um, or who um, uh, who have made a commitment to give, but that hasn't actually had a determinate effect on the amounts that they're giving? And so actually, in terms of the behavior change, the thing that it's it not doing there is getting genuinely new money in from those who wouldn't have otherwise been doing it, or indeed getting those who are already giving um, to give significantly more. Now, if that is the case, then going back to our original questions of what is the aim, it has to be more about establishing a cultural norm um, that hopefully over time will encourage more non-givers to give or more givers to give more or simply to help create a more positive narrative about philanthropy um, that kind of positions it as as an important part of society and and adds to the general sense um, of a kind of positive culture of giving. Um, One way, interestingly, in which I'll just flag up, I think the the Giving Pledge has been um, quite valuable and probably an unintended way in many ways is as a research resource. So, um, one of the things that happens as a result of people giving through the giving pledge is not so much that you get um, automatically figures on the amounts that they're giving, because as I say, uh, there isn't really a kind of associated measurement framework. But what you do get is the published letters of the people who sign up to it, explaining um, why it is that they've decided to. Now, in some cases, those are quite short statements that don't give a lot of insight. But actually, in quite a lot of cases, there you can, if you sort of analyse them, read a reasonable amount into them about the views of the extremely wealthy about responsibility and the role of philanthropy within society. Um, because actually, when given the opportunity, people quite like to, to wax lyrical about this. And certainly historically, this was always the case. I mean, famous donors of the past, you could barely stop them writing uh, essays about why it was that they give and why it was that they thought it was important that other people gave. Um, the most famous example of that being uh, Andrew Carnegie's Gospel of Wealth, of course, but other donors, um, uh, also people like Julius Rosenwald, um, people like um, uh, William Rathbone uh, here in, uh, in the UK, at one point or another wrote essays or books where they kind of propounded a theory of philanthropy, um, usually about something to do with the kind of responsibilities that come with wealth and how you should give effectively. Um, And it turns out, you know, modern donors quite like to be given the opportunity to give their 10 pence worth on on the subject as well. Um, And some people have started to use that uh, research resource to to try and kind of find out interesting things. So um, there's at least one paper um, that I've seen, uh, some analysis, I think from the University of Southampton, where they looked at who had signed up to the Giving Pledge at that point and determined the proportion of them who represented self-made wealth as opposed to inherited wealth or kind of old money and found that a much larger proportion of them uh, represented self-made wealth and kind of um, gave some hypotheses about what this said about the greater willingness of those who've made their own wealth um, to, to give it away as opposed to those who might have inherited it and therefore see themselves more as stewards than owners. Um, and that's certainly something we've covered on previous episodes of the podcast. Um, 
I guess it's worth saying in terms of finding out anything about the the genuine motivations of the people giving through the giving pledge, you have to be aware that people's own self-mythos about why they're doing things often doesn't really reflect the underlying reasons because there's quite big differences between stated and actual behaviour. Um, but despite that, actually what you can what you, if you take it objectively, at least what you do know is what the stories people want to tell publicly about their philanthropy is. And if you sort of take it at that face value, then you can still find out some quite interesting stuff, I think. Um, so at this point, I just want to kind of ask what some of the criticisms off the back of um, some of the points that we've made there about the the fact that the Giving Pledge may have failed to live up to some of its early ambitions might be. Um, and some of these, these criticisms are quite sort of pointed ones, I think. So one is that um, there isn't really any accountability within the structure of the Giving Pledge, and this goes to what we were saying about there not really being an associated measurement framework. So the point here is that people can make these pledges um, and they get you know, often the benefit of sort of um, good publicity as a result of doing so. But there isn't really anyone checking uh, to see whether they've actually made good on their pledge. Um, now, some might argue that, you know, the publicity itself is supposed to be the accountability mechanism. So by going public with their pledge, uh, they have kind of made a commitment which people can then hold them accountable for. But obviously, that ability for the public to hold them accountable uh, relies on a couple of things. I mean, it relies on sufficient transparency on the part of the donor that people have the information they need. And it also probably relies on uh, the efforts of the um, the press to kind of continually uh, check in and hold those donors to account against what they've said they're going to do. Um, another interesting one that, um, that I sort of uh, only recently came across as a result of um, a very good feature in the Chronicle of Philanthropy in the US um, quite recently about the Giving Pledge, which I'll put links in the show notes to and would recommend you read, was that um, in many ways the Giving Pledge might have ended up being a much more radical thing, um, apparently, if it had sort of followed through on the uh, the original way in which it was envisioned, particularly by Bill and Melinda Gates. So in in this story, um, it says that the the kind of proposed motto or vision for for it originally was um, give big, give smart, give now, give to inequities, which you know would have been um, a very interesting thing in that it obviously puts the focus on immediacy and addressing inequality, which as we've talked about many times on the podcast is sort of particularly thorny issue for philanthropy given its uh, complicated relationship to inequality but apparently that didn't end up being the case um, because Warren Buffett vetoed um, the suggestion on the grounds that he doesn't like being preached to and he thought that this was too preachy a way to try and position the pledge and so it ended up being uh, softened to to what it currently is about people pledging to give away fifty percent of their wealth um, by by the time that they retire. I can't remember it's by the time they die, um, and I think that's that is really interesting because it raises a sort of broader question that that does divide people, um, which is the extent to which um, the giving pledge or any pledge of this sort is supposed to represent uh, something totally voluntary. Um, or whether there is supposed to be some sort of 
normative element of it or a suggestion that it should be seen as a responsibility or a duty. Um, and some would take issue with, with that idea. Um, and some of them on moral grounds, you know, some people would say it's not appropriate to expect uh, people of any level of wealth to, to give it away because philanthropy, charitable giving is an entirely voluntary thing. That money is is privately owned and there is no responsibility to give it away. Others would disagree and say, actually, there are all kinds of social and moral responsibilities that come with wealth about giving back to the society in which you've been able to create that wealth. Um, but others also would say, you know, whatever the moral questions, actually, practically, it's not a very uh, uh, kind of useful thing to do to try and browbeat people into giving, because actually, that tends to be ineffective in driving behavior if people feel like they're being told to do something and that's particularly true um, of wealthier people and um, i mean the theory behind the gates buffett um giving pledge has always been that actually by make by by having people of that level of wealth who are already well known as philanthropists in their own right making the ask rather than somebody uh, of a much lower level of wealth or somebody from the sort of from the non-profit world it doesn't look so much like a fundraising ask as it does uh, a kind of peer-led ask and that's supposed to make it more appealing um, but some would still question that um the other criticism or well, a couple of criticisms um that that you know are around there that i think are worth being aware of one is that um the the kind of commitment to to give away is good but if people aren't aware that their their own wealth and their wealth creation is not bound at that moment in time um it can go out of date very quickly so actually the the point here is you make a commitment to give away half of your wealth at some moment in time and that represents a certain figure but actually a couple of years down the line if if your net worth has doubled then are you committed to giving half of the worth as it was when you made the pledge or are you committed to giving half of your worth at that later point or some subsequent point afterwards and if if it's the latter actually all of a sudden you're having to give significantly more so actually the scale of your plans and, and what you're intending to do with them will have to shift so your strategy for giving that money away has to be a sort of constantly evolving thing um, and then the final point that I just throw in is that um, I noticed from looking at some of the names on the list, um, particularly prominent ones, that some of them are giving in ways that raise questions about, um, you know, the, the what con constitutes the limits of philanthropy. Particularly, I'm thinking here of donors like um, Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan, and also the Arnolds, who um, have kind of been noted for adopting. Um, non-philanthropic structures so llcs particularly for their giving um now their argument for this um is that it allows them to have much more flexibility because these are basically for-profit structures that don't um have some of the limitations that traditional philanthropic structures have about making commercial investments or getting involved in um, political issues but others are quite critical of this saying that actually um you know they they start to blur the boundaries between for profit investment um and philanthropy and actually if if an increasing number of people on the giving pledge are using some of these is all of the activity that's being captured um purportedly as philanthropy genuinely what we would count as philanthropy or does there start to be too much gray area um but that is a topic for probably another podcast and one that we'll uh, probably be doing in the next couple of weeks 
Um, okay, so that that concludes a bit of a look at the giving pledge and some of where it's got to and some of the challenges. Um, in the next section, I just want to go on and ask some questions about what um, science and, and research has to tell us about the kind of the psychology and the economics of making pledges and what that might tell us about how we can best use them in practice. So stay tuned for that. Okay, so we're back. Uh, and in this section, which, uh, as ever, I will attempt to make uh, slightly shorter than the first section, which I almost always go long, um, we're going to take a bit of a look at the economics and psychology of uh, pledges, particularly as they relate to charitable giving. Um, and there's some interesting findings here sort of hidden away in the academia. Um, and they tend to kind of centre around the difference between the short term and the long term. So the the point here is that um, actually there's quite often a conflict between our kind of short-term desires and kind of short-term effects um, and our longer-term goals and, and what we um, sort of want to achieve in the longer term. Um, and this plays out in, in charitable uh, giving, um, particularly around a couple of concepts. So one that we've talked about um, many times on the podcast before is the idea of the warm glow. So this is the sort of um, economic theory that actually no act of giving is genuinely altruistic because in one form or another we are getting a personal reward in the form of a, a warm glow um, and actually therefore we are sort of getting something back for our giving so it, you know as all economics uh, economists want to do it's been turned back into a rational and, and selfish act um, but also there's another idea which is the pain of payment so the idea here is actually the, the giving of money away and the loss of money um, is is a sort of unpleasant thing and causes us pain um, it's related to the idea of uh, loss aversion um, I think um, and the idea uh, the, the important thing about kind of being aware of these two phenomena is that it makes it clear why a pledge can potentially be quite powerful because what you can do is um, potentially sort of separate the pain of payment uh, and uh, and the warm glow effect which if you're making an immediate donation um, are together now in most cases with an immediate donation where you have to overcome the pain of payment the idea is if the warm glow that you get through giving is sufficiently high on balance it's fine but if you could say uh, shift that pain of payment even further into the future things get even better because you can take advantage of another phenomenon which is the fact that we tend to discount the future or that if you introduce psychological distance uh, in someone's mind between uh, the here and now uh, and the point at which they have to make a payment, actually it, um, in psychological terms, reduces that pain of payment significantly. Um, it also perhaps, uh, and I don't know, this is slightly more speculative on my part, it might give more space um, to kind of engage people's system two rather than system one thinking. Um, and so this is the idea from uh, kind of behavioral economics where you have two different systems of thinking in the mind. System one, which is essentially kind of reactive and largely based on uh, unconscious biases and intuitions. And system two, which is a sort of more considered rational longer term thinking. Um, and actually, if if you're thinking about straightforward donation, um, system one thinking is going to be very important because the the kind of uh, unconscious bias and emotional effects and all those sorts of things very much tied 
tied into it at the time. Whereas if you're able to use a pledge model to, to separate those out and to put the, the payment into the future, actually people might be able to think about it in a more rational system two way. And so actually they won't be subject to so many of those kind of emotional factors and unconscious bias. But that being said... Um, it's really important to think about the way in which you structure this because the the flip side is if you get it wrong, you might uh, separate them in the wrong way. So the point here is that the, the distancing of the two things might only work uh, and there's a paper, I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes to this, which makes this point. The, the distancing only works if you're also distant from the money in question. So here the point is it it works really well if you're pledging uh, about money that you don't already have, so money that you're going to get in a salary packet in the future, or you know potentially something that's more uh, unlikely, uh, such as you know kind of winnings from a horse race or something like that. Whereas if you ask people to pledge money that they already have um, and and pledge to give it at a later date. What tends to happen is that the whilst the pain of payment might be reduced, it's still not reduced sufficiently. So people kind of know that they have the money. So psychologically, you're asking them to give away something that they already have. So they have a reasonable amount of loss aversion, even if it's a bit less because you've asked them to do that further in the future. But what you have done is push the warm glow that they'll get from their giving into the future so that gets discounted. So actually, you get the worst of all possible worlds. Um, and just a quote from the paper that I mentioned, um, it says here, uh, on the one hand, compared to immediate donation requests, people should be more likely to pre-commit money that they've not earned yet or that is uncertain. Uh, for instance, people should be more likely to pre-commit to donating future pay or credit card points than they are to currently donate an equivalent amount in cash. However, on the other hand, people may be less likely to donate when they're asked to pre-commit money that they currently have, rather than simply donate the money right now. For instance, people may be less likely to pledge to donate their current money than they would be to simply donate their current money. So this just shows that actually there are these, these different psychological effects at play, and you can use pledges as a way of sort of separating and introducing psychological distance but you do need to be careful about the way in which you do it because otherwise you might make the situation even worse um so that's kind of on an individual level but i think there are also kind of interesting things that research tells you about the the wider social role that pledges play because it's not just about the effect it has on the individual, as we've kind of made clear in the discussion of the giving pledge. It's also a lot about the kind of social signals it sets out and the norms that it establishes. Um, so there's some in, you know, interesting research here about the way in which pledges um, can establish those social norms. So there's um, stuff around the, the idea of things like leadership gifts, which is that when you get, um, if you want people to kind of commit to, to fundraising ask, if you get a few big donations up front and make those public, it makes people more likely uh, to want to give to that cause. Um, similar to, to the effect that you get through matching. Um, and one interesting thing, actually, um, was a piece of research, which again, I'll put some notes in, um, looking at pledges. Um, and it found basically that asking people to make a pre-commitment or a pledge to give money to charity didn't make a didn't have an impact uh, on their level of giving, 
But in a separate um, group within a kind of randomly controlled trial, um, when they asked people to make a pledge to give um, uh, in the future, but also gave uh, at the same time the promise of local publicity if they did, that did have a statistically significant effect. So actually, this suggests that it may be in, in some cases at least not so much about the individual psychological effect of separating out the the act of giving and the kind of the act of the the act of making the pledge it might be about the way in which that is associated also with how it looks to other people so it's very important for that pledge to be public um another thing that uh, research says actually is that pledges that don't have set criteria might be quite ineffective um, which may be of relevance to something like the giving pledge, although obviously the sort of 50% figure there gives at least some sort of guide. Um, but there's another paper, again, I'll put links in there, which uh, suggests that that if you ask people to make a pledge to give um, at some point in the future, but without specifying an exact amount, the likelihood of them failing to make good on that pledge is uh, significantly higher, whereas if you give people a specified amount actually they are more likely to, to follow through on it. Um, and it's interesting to think through what these findings and others mean for the design of pledges. Um, and that's something that I want to just come and uh, think about a bit in the last section about what the future might be for the idea of kind of philanthropic pledges and, and where it might take us. So stay tuned for that. Okay. So we're back for the final section. Um, and in this section, I just want to have a, a reasonably quick think about where the idea of philanthropic pledges might go in the future. Um, so the first thing uh, I just want to think about is where the sort of specific model of high net worth pledges um, like the giving pledge might go in the future. And there are already some interesting indications here because the giving pledge is by no means the only pledge in town. Um, particularly one that has been gaining quite a lot of momentum um, that comes particularly out of sort of Silicon Valley and the tech industry um, is a thing called the Founders Pledge. Um, and, and this is interesting because it sort of has some notable differences from uh, the Giving Pledge. Um, I mean, one is that it's uh, sort of not, it's pitched more broadly. So the idea is that it's um, it's not quite as exclusive or, or uh, kind of aimed at people at such a high level of wealth. It's essentially aimed at um, catching people at a different point in the spectrum. So rather than waiting until people have those billions and billions of dollars and then asking them to make a commitment to give it away, the idea behind the Founders Pledge is to get young tech entrepreneurs um, who may have made some money already, but some of whom really don't have money, and ask them to make a commitment to give away a certain percentage of the profits from their company and potentially some more money on top of that, as and when that company does make money in the future. Um, and now, obviously, for some of these uh, these tech entrepreneurs, they may un end up being the next sort of tech unicorns, and we could be talking about kind of multi-billion dollar valuations. And if somebody has already made a sort of binding commitment for some of that money to go towards philanthropy, that's potentially very significant. And it, it maybe it plays into uh, what we were saying in the last section about the psychology of it, in that actually, in many ways, it might be easier to give away or to pledge to give away money that you don't have already than it is to uh, to kind of wait until you've made all that money and then make a commitment to, to give it away. So it might be kind of quite a smart way of doing things. 
and also as i say it's kind of it's not fully democratic and that it's not not open to all of us to be uh tech entrepreneurs but um it's more democratic in the sense that you don't necessarily have to have all of the money at that point so it's it's less exclusive um and as a result the number of signatories is significantly higher um the giving pledge i think it's it's over eight times it's about 1500 or so who've signed up so far um and quite a lot of money has has gone through that um but i guess the the thing i wanted to think through um sort of beyond that is what it might mean at a at a kind of mass market level because you know there are models of pledge making um that are already available um uh, all around us um that kind of apply to to more um kind of normal level giving rather than high net worth or even kind of mass affluent giving um and i've sort of wonder whether these will become even more widespread um, as a result of the ways in which sort of technology allows you to combine the uh, the kind of uh, financial transaction and the the kind of communication via social media and other channels associated with giving um, uh, and one place that we're already kind of seeing this is in the rise of crowdfunding um, and crowdfunding is a sort of interesting one because I think there's quite a lot of questions about, you know, what its relationship with traditional charitable giving is and whether it's kind of in addition to it and whether it's uh, potentially a replacement for it. Um, but the idea obviously behind crowdfunding is, again, that somebody uh, kind of puts up the details of a project. Let's assume in this case it's a sort of social project or a project that is broadly charitable um and um probably has a you know an amount associated with it it depends on the model of the crowdfunding um but that um uh, the idea is that then uh, people make pledges to put that money in if the amount is raised or if a particular goal is achieved and only at that point will the money be drawn down um although there are kind of again different models um and i think this raises some sort of interesting questions i mean one is is a legal question um which again i've I've sort of said a couple of times it depends on the model you're using and it really does because if you are potentially say using a model of crowdfunding where the money at at the initial point counts as a donation so it passes what is called the charitable threshold so it's kind of counts as having moved into the world of charity in legal terms um it's then very difficult to give it back um so if if somebody was crowdfunding on that basis for something and amassing donations essentially but then either was not able to deliver on the initial thing that they were crowdfunding for or decided to put the money towards some other purpose that would potentially be very problematic but what the recourse would be on the part of the people who had um, donated the money through crowdfunding it's not very clear at the moment um uh i think there are um also some questions about um what it means sort of psychologically again going back to this idea of warm glow um i wonder again whether there is sort of a danger that with crowdfunding um it it shifts the the potential payoff that you get um too far in the future so again uh here you know the idea is that you get a, a kind of altruistic warm glow for your donation but actually if you are um, making a pledge uh, to give money to to something that where the money will only be drawn down at the point at which um, 
the the overall amount is raised or some sort of milestone is achieved where does the warm glow come do you get the warm glow at the point you make the commitment to give the money um, or do you get it only at the point at which you know the money has definitely been drawn down and does that have an impact on your willingness to give on the amounts you're able to give I'm not sure but I think it's kind of interesting question to think through in terms of how you structure these things um, and I think the final thing is just to flag up the potential in the future for using technology to to kind of, I guess, automate some of the elements of what we, we currently um, would do through more traditional means of pledging. So I think there are kind of interesting examples of where you can introduce conditions um, onto to donations um, or kind of set donation or set conditions that determine when donations are made. Um, and this is something I've seen um, through the work that I've done on sort of blockchain and smart contracts and things, although it's definitely not kind of uh, solely limited to that. But the idea here is that if you can um, make a donation uh, or a payment onto which you can kind of specify conditions, um, you can potentially kind of essentially have a pledge model, but one where the uh, it doesn't require uh, a level of trust between the person making the donation and the person in receipt of it uh, in order to be sort of guaranteed that the money will be paid you kind of essentially you make a donation um, into escrow so the money is kind of held and conditions are put on top of it so that it's only then paid out in the future um, if those conditions are achieved and if not I guess it would be returned because it hasn't passed a charitable threshold or the other way around you can also have conditional donations where it's not so much that you are making a donation to a specific cause but then putting stipulations on it. You instead make uh, kind of stipulations or set conditions that might be totally unrelated to the donation. Um, so, for instance, these might be related to kind of lifestyle issues, and, and you see models of this already. So you might sort of say, you know, if I don't go to the gym uh, at least three times a week, make a donation to this charity... Um, and that would kind of be done automatically. Um, or, you know, similarly, you might do it to kind of reinforce positive choices rather than punish negative choices. Or you might do it, you know, linked to other things like kind of economic conditions. You might say, you know, if there is a particular economic event at um, certain uh, place in the world or if you know, interest rates at a certain point, uh, make a donation to this cause. Or it might be linked to sort of geopolitical events like um, disasters. So again, you might sort of specify at any point where, um, you know, those kind of uh, reports of, uh, you know, a disaster or a natural disaster or something that kind of meets these criteria, automatically donate money from my uh, account or payment mechanism um, through to, to, to uh, some sort of specified um, uh, kind of platform or organisation that's working uh, to kind of uh, deal with those issues. Um, and the thing that would be interesting here, again, is I think um, this might well play into um, a sort of broader trend, I think, within digital giving, which is I think that the next few years are going to see a probably a shift away from the idea of using special purpose um, charitable platforms to make digital gifts and more about um, existing digital platforms integrating some of that functionality into what they do as they bring kind of payments into it. And we're seeing this in social media where people like Facebook are uh, already enabling charitable donations through Facebook uh, and through Instagram. 
Um, we're seeing it through sort of payment, through Apple Pay, uh, Google Pay. It's huge in China where sort of WeChat Pay and Alipay have become quite big channels for, for charitable giving over there. And actually, you know, the likelihood is to me that the more that that happens, the easier it will be to kind of add in the functionality to make conditional donations related to um, various different factors or to kind of uh, link that to the ability for people to kind of um, uh, make asks through social media or through the communications side and then for people to kind of agree to pledge in a conditional way um, that will then be kind of automatically delivered uh, as and when the required conditions are met. So I suspect this kind of mass market conditional giving will become uh, sort of a a big trend in the future. Um, But I think more broadly, just in conclusion, you know, the idea of making philanthropic pledges is very interesting and works, I think, in lots of different ways, as we kind of talked about right up front in assessing the the aim of the um of the giving pledge because it performs lots of those different functions you have to be sort of clear in your own mind about which of them you're actually prioritizing when you're using a pledge model um and that might determine to to quite a large extent what the the exact model that you're using is similarly i think there is quite a lot of interesting research out there you know psychological and economic as i've said which tells you about the the sort of uh, that some of the hidden factors that you might not think about in terms of how we do respond to different models of pre-commitment and pledging so i think the combination of those shows that pledging is potentially a very powerful tool but actually in order to really use it effectively you have to think it through in quite a, a nuanced way rather than just assuming that you can do it in in any old way and it will work um, and I think, you know, that will be the, the challenge for people in charities and in the philanthropy world is to kind of work out the best ways of harnessing that potential. OK, um, so let's bring that to a close at that point. Um, hope you've enjoyed all that rambling. Um, if you have been interested in that stuff and would like to read more, um, I will put lots of links in the show notes to the various kind of papers and articles um, that I mentioned. Uh, more broadly, check out the uh, Giving Thought pages at the CAF website for lots more of the same. Follow me on Twitter at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis, where I bang on endlessly about that sort of stuff. Uh, drop me a line at givingthought at cafonline.org if you would like to suggest future topics or people that I should interview. Other than that, just like, subscribe, tell all your friends about it and give us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you use. And other than that, I'll see you next time. Bye.